If you can, please remain standing or stand for the reading of the word, which will be done today by one of our rock star volunteers, Linda Duncan. Good morning. morning. Today's scripture is the fourth chapter of Jonah from the English Standard Version. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it to come over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there were more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here, and I, I love stories. How many of you love stories? How many of you are book addicts out there? Movies? Both? Okay, yeah, I, I love stories. Getting lost in a story is always so fun. There's usually a standard, though, when it comes to a story. You have a plot with a main character who oftentimes has some sort of like traumatic upbringing. Um, And then they uh, have some mentors in their life. They go through some hard times only to get to the end where they receive all the glory, all the praise, uh, look at them, they are awesome. And it's usually stamped with a happily ever after. That's a good story. I'm a part of stories like that. Jonah chapter four, on the other hand, is not like that in any way, shape, or form at all. Jonah should have ended at chapter three. Then it would have been a good story. If this is your first week joining us, well, you joined us on the last week, so uh, we're still glad you are here. But let me give you a little bit of context leading up to this point. Jonah chapter one 
God puts this call over his life to go and preach to the Ninevites, also known as the Assyrians. And Jonah's like, no way. And uh, got on a boat in the opposite direction, only for God to go, you thought. Um, good luck with that. And, and the boat became so rocky and started to fall apart that the crew, uh, they were trying to figure out what the problem was. The problem was Jonah. And so they took Jonah, threw him overboard to where he is now lost at sea. And then we see in chapter two, God send a fish to gobble him up. And now he is sitting in the fish for three days and three nights. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was not a fun place to be. It's not like Pinocchio or those movies that kind of makes it look kind of decent where there's like broken down ships to go exploring or whatnot inside. No, he was, he was crammed. It was smelly. It was gross. Probably not much oxygen whatsoever. And so he's in there praying and calling out to Yahweh saying, save me. And by the mercy of God, uh, he gets upchucked onto dry land. That leads us to chapter three, to where God's like, okay, Jonah, I got your attention now. You're going to listen now? He heads to that great city, Nineveh, modern day Las Vegas. And he is called to preach to them. And he says one statement. As far as we know, according to the scriptures, he says, in 40 days you will be destroyed. And that one statement was enough for all of the Assyrians to turn from their evil way and give recognition to Yahweh. That's a good story. And God, at the end of chapter three, it says that he was pleased. He was pleased that they did this. It should have ended there. Jonah seemed to be doing well. He's, uh, he repented. He's listening to God now. The Ninevites are saved. God is pleased. Great story. Uh, that's the end. No, that's not the end. We're given this dark epilogue. Chapter four of the true nature of Jonah's heart in all of this. And so gear up with me. Verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, why, why was he angry? Again, because the Lord showed mercy towards these Ninevites. He showed mercy towards them, and he was angry. Any modern-day preacher, any person that is preaching the gospel, uh, if they were in this situation, if God uh, today were like, hey, uh, Blake, I want you to go to an auditorium. It's going to be filled with 120,000 plus people who have never heard the gospel before. And a message that I give and bring is going to cause every single person in that auditorium to turn from their evil way and give their life to Christ. I am not walking off stage going, dang it. Lord, I wish you would have just destroyed them. No, any modern preacher today would be patting themselves on the back, seeing, saying, look at the influence I have. Look at how the spirit works through me to reach all of these people. And so why was Jonah angry? I do respect his honesty. The issue here is he was angry because of the people that he was 
preaching to. And so we have to continue reading. Uh, and, he prayed, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That last, those last three words, in my country. Jonah already had it set in his heart how he felt towards these Ninevites prior to even coming here. He probably got together with his boys often and was like, man, I can't wait until the Lord destroys those Ninevites. He's gonna do some awesome things by casting down judgment. It's gonna be sick. And, and, and all of a sudden God goes, actually, no, Jonah, I want you to actually go there and share the good news so that I will relent from disaster upon them and so they will be saved. And so I can imagine Jonah going, wait, what? That's not what we planned. That's not what these Jewish people, that's not what we talked about. The problem was the people that he was going to. It, it also had nothing to do with the fact that, that he would be ministering. We know from 2 Kings 14, 25, he ministered often. It says that he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath, as far as the sea of the Arabah according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. Jonah preached often to his own people. He preached often. So ministering was not the issue. Again, it was who he was ministering because in the depths of his heart, he looked at these Ninevites and he said, they are those people. You know about those people? Maybe they're sitting next to you right now. Don't look at them, come on. What are you doing? Those people. The great reformer Martin Luther, he even struggled with this at one point in his life. Uh, the guy that we base a lot of our theology off of today, the reason why I'm standing here actually, he was an influential character in shaping how we view the scriptures. But yet at one point in his life, he viewed the Jews as an enemy. He even encouraged that people would burn down their synagogues in their schools. Maybe you didn't know that, but yet God still used him in miraculous ways. So I'll ask you again, who are those people in your life? How do you view someone with a different religion? Let's take the Muslims, for example. How do you view them? Do you view them as an enemy? Growing up, I was always encouraged and taught that they should be an enemy to us because of what took place in 2001, 9-11. And so I always had this grievance in my heart towards them because of what was taught to me. It wasn't until I was older, got saved, started reading the word of God to realize, no, that's not God's heart for us as his people and it wasn't until I started to serve uh, Muslims. We actually, as a church, have a ministry uh, partner, the Arab American Learning Center, where a lot of our students every year serve them and we're constantly serving Muslims. And I even play soccer with them. My heart was in the wrong position because of what was taught to me and I had to repent of that. 
How do you view someone with a different religion? How do you view someone with a different skin tone or language? Are they considered those people in your life? How do you view someone with a different financial status? Your friends that are richer than you, do you envy them? Do you go, God, why haven't I given, been given as much as them? How about your friends that are poor? Do you neglect them? How about that homeless man on the corner of the street? Do you view him as those people? Someone to stay away from. Who are those people in your life? We can even do this with our sin. Where my sin is justifiable in God's eyes, what I do and say is okay, my sin is all right, but your sin is not okay. Do you do this with the people in your life? We tend to think that uh, God is acceptable of the sin that we commit, but then when someone else has sin, we view it as the worst thing. And God, you should cast down judgment on them, but not me, for I am okay. Friends, the moment we segregate people in our hearts because of their differences, we elevate ourselves to a position of superiority. I will say that again. The moment we segregate people in our hearts because of their differences, we elevate ourselves to a position of superiority. Jonah considered himself superior. He viewed the Assyrians and he said, I am better than them. At the core of his heart, he was a bigot. He was. He loved what he believed. He loved what he stood for. He got all on board for it. But the moment someone else came along with a differing belief and a different skin tone and a different language, he could not expect or accept that person or respect them. And he hated them. He was a bigot at the core of his heart. Here's what I'm getting at today. God loves those people. And so should you. And I think uh, really the, the first step in doing this, loving our enemies and the people that just get on our nerves, we have to learn how to love ourselves less. Not more. You have to learn how to love yourself less. Let's keep going. Uh, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. Boo-hoo. Uh, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah knew the characteristics of Yahweh. He says, God, you are gracious. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You, you, you relent from causing disaster. You have steadfast love. He had every opportunity to go to the Ninevites and give them the gospel of grace. But instead, he chose the gospel of condemnation. Even in that, it was enough to turn the hearts of 120,000 plus people. 
Man, Jonah was a blessing to these people, but he was missing the blessing for himself. How tragic when you are a blessing to those around you, but you miss the blessing for yourself because your heart is not in it. How tragic. Jonah wanted the benefits of God's forgiveness. Remember in chapter two, in the belly of the fish, God forgive me for what I have done. He wanted the benefits, but he did not want to extend those benefits to those that did not look or sound like him. He wanted them to perish and die. He was selfish. Man, I will say it is a great thing that our God does not do what we want. I'm so thankful the Lord is greater than us and is steadfast and sober-minded and leads with love and that he does relent from disaster because if he did not, you would not be alive right now. God has been merciful to you and he's saying, you now be merciful to those that you don't like. Friends, if you hate a specific people group so much that you don't want them to receive the saving power of Jesus Christ, then you are not reading the Bible for all it's worth. Jesus makes it crystal clear, crystal clear. If you love your life, you will lose it. This is John 12, 25. I didn't write this, he did. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you will find eternal life. What is he getting at? If you hold your life to supreme value and consider others as less than you are, then you love yourself way too much. And he says, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, and that's done by having a humble and and sober uh, judgment on your own life and your own sin and your own depravity, And if you can remember the grace of God that's been poured out on you and you're able to extend that to others, then you are properly living life out and you will receive eternal life. This is God's heart for us as his people. We're called to love our enemies and pray for them. We're called to fight against the bigotry in our own lives and lead with love. I'll say this, there is nothing more dangerous than a person with good theology and a hateful heart. There's nothing more dangerous. Like you may know a lot of scripture, cool, awesome, good on you. But if it is not accompanied by uh, the heart of God, the grace of God, then you are at your core a bigot and ultimately you're just annoying. But man, if you have rock solid theology to where you know your Bible, and if that theology has gone from up here to here to the depths of your very core, and it has changed your life and the grace of God is accompanied with your theology, man, you are a powerful weapon for the kingdom of God in the best way possible. Sometimes it's easier to have good theology than it is to have the correct heart posture. But if you have both, blessed are you. And that's where all of us as followers of Jesus need to be. And so 
In order to love ourselves less, we have to take the narrow path, the path that leads to the cross. That's what it comes down to. And by doing so, by loving ourselves less, we are able to celebrate other people in their salvation in Jesus. Celebrate their salvation in Jesus. Those that don't look like you. It's always uh, interesting to me how it's difficult for us to celebrate people when it doesn't benefit us. I mean, we even do this when people come to faith in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm a skeptic at heart. And the Lord is uh, constantly working on this heart of mine. But like I even, uh, I'll even find myself or sometimes have conversations with people of um, like at the end of the service, when someone raises their hand to receive Jesus as their Lord, I'm always like, is that true? Is that authentic? Maybe you're, you're laughing because you're right there with me. The thing is, God does not want us to judge someone's salvation. He wants us to celebrate their steps towards the cross. That's what he wants from us. We're not in the position to judge where someone is at spiritually with the Lord. You are simply called to walk alongside someone and celebrate while they figure it out. You know who was not celebrating this truth? Our boy Jonah. Verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He decided to not be a part of the celebration that was most likely going on. Because remember, all of these Assyrians now have been saved and relieved and, and God did not cast judgment or disaster upon them. And so there's a celebration. And Jonah is still having uh, uh, hatefulness in his heart. And he's like, I want nothing to do with that. And so he steps out of the city. This story reminds me of another story. In the gospel, the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you know it. Where uh, Jonah, he represents actually both characters in that story, the younger son and the older son. The younger son in Jonah chapter one, where he runs from the father. And now he is acting like the older son, not willing to celebrate his younger son or younger brother coming home. And in the same way, Jonah is not able to celebrate the lost souls now saved. Friends, learn to celebrate those people in your life who find faith in Jesus Christ. Because remember, a celebration was thrown for you as well. The Bible says that the angels, there's a party in heaven when one person comes to faith in Christ. There's a party in heaven. Our, our, our boy, MC Gabriel, just on, on the DJ, on the track, just mixing the hottest beat. There's a constant party. If you didn't get that reference, he's a really powerful angel. Anyway, um, but there's a constant party that you are being invited to as well when one person comes to faith. Let's celebrate other people that come to faith in Jesus. But I think the most effective way to love those people in your life is by recognizing your own depravity. 
Verse six, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle. That's where the story ends. I don't know why it abruptly ends like that. Like closing with cattle not knowing their left from their right. But the point is clear. That... At the core, Jonah could not recognize his own sin and depravity. And if you don't know what depravity means, it's just an innate thing that we all uh, share of being um, separated from God because of our sin. We are all depraved, but by the grace of God, you've been invited into his family. Jonah couldn't see it. He only saw his hatred for these Assyrians. And so the Lord would have to get his attention. And I love how he, he does it. He uses a couple object lessons. First, uh, by sending a plant. How cool would that be, by the way, if like in one night, just whew. A plant covers over Jonah and it says his, it covers over his discomfort. That word is used 400 times in the Bible and it refers and means evil. This plant is covering over Jonah's evil only for it to be withered away by a worm the next day to reveal his evil heart to him yet again. And I love how uh, the Lord doesn't stop there. He also sends a, a scorching hot summer Sacramento wind to beat down upon Jonah to make him faint. God had a mission in mind here. He didn't send Jonah just to teach and preach to the Assyrians, but he also sent Jonah to reveal his own heart to him. God had to make it clear to Jonah and he had to get through to Jonah that he needed to see his own depravity. I mean, for goodness sakes, he pitied a plant more than 120,000 people that would not be saved. His priorities were out of whack. Friends, the moment that you can recognize your own depravity is the moment that you can extend grace to those people in your life. The moment you see how much Jesus has extended his loving grace and mercy upon you and you receive that, you can live that out and be a blessing to others in your life as well. I know I said a, a good story usually ends with a happily ever after stamped on it, but maybe not. Maybe Jonah chapter four is exactly what you and I need. 
Because I think, uh, actually I know, we relate in so many ways. You and I, at one point, uh, rebelled against God. Chapter one, we rebelled against God and ran the other way, only for him to extend mercy upon us by gobbling us up with a fish. And as we sit in the belly of this fish for three days pondering and experiencing the depths of hell on our life, the only thing that we can do at that point is look up and cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. For him to extend mercy upon you. And then in chapter three, now he's saying, now that I've extended mercy upon you, go out and be a blessing and share the gospel, the good news to those around you. Carmichael and beyond, only to find yourself in chapter four yet again. To see that there's still stuff in your heart, evil and corruption and stuff that he needs to work through. But by the grace of God, he is not going to leave you, friend. He's going to forgive you time and time again as you, as you have those people in your life that you need to work through your differences with. I don't know who they are. You know who they are. They might be coming to mind right now. It could be a coworker. Could be like, man, if that person just got fired, my life would be so much easier. Could be a spouse. The list goes on. Who is the person in your life that you need to forgive? Who's the person in your life that just rubs you the wrongest of ways, but you need to just be an extra blessing to them? Don't miss out on the blessing. Be a blessing to those people today and you will be blessed for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Love those people today, friends. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for reaching our hearts and convicting us in the areas that we need conviction, Lord, I pray that you would help us grow to love those that just bug us the most. Lord, help us be a blessing to those around us. Help us learn from the story of Jonah to live life on mission, but to constantly check our own heart in all of this. Lord, as we leave here today, let us learn what it means to follow you more, to love those people, to forgive quickly, and just be transformed for your kingdom cause. We pray and ask for your spirit to meet us with where we are at today. In Jesus' name, amen.